What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Fandom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here with Anthony, Lori, and Michael, and we are discussing the season finale of A Discovery of Witches. This is for season one, episode eight. And let's go ahead and get into it because the last episode ended with Diana testing out her powers. Matthew was trying to train her to be able to sense uh, presence using her senses. And she goes into the barn and comes face to face with Juliet. And that's where we pick up this episode. So this is the confrontation that we knew would happen. And it's finally here. So Diana finds Juliet and Juliet's like, oh, you must be Diana. She immediately puts her in this chokehold. Matthew at this point has sensed that something is not going quite right. You know, when Diana was heading towards the barn, she kept saying, I feel a vampiric presence. And she goes towards the barn and he's looking like, why is she going to the barn? Like she's going in the opposite direction from him. So he comes in and he sees Juliet. And I have to say, you know, we playfully called Juliet crazy town during this season. And I don't think we knew until really this episode, like exactly how bad Jabert treated her. I mean, she, he basically sired her with the specific intent for her to seduce Matthew, basically to, to get into his heart and into his family, as he tells Diana later. And, and she says, you know, I had no value. This is the only thing. This is the only reason why she existed was for Matthew. So it's kind of like, I felt sorry for her in a yeah. lot of ways, because if this, it, it's one thing to be in love with someone and then have them not love you back, but it's something totally different when this is the specific reason you were created and you were literally trained for this man. Like this was, this was her purpose in her vampire life. And it's just so sad because of course, I'm guessing at some point Matthew figured out exactly what it was that she was created for and he left her. So it's been decades since she's seen him. And so now she's kind of acting out of desperation because really there's nothing else for her. Like this, this was her whole purpose in life because that's what Jaber created her to be. So even though she's there to attack Diana or to kill Diana, whatever she has plans to do with her at this point, I can't help but feel sorry for her. It's just, yeah. it's like a really... It's a really sucky way to have to exist. And also, I just kind of, I, I kind of feel bad. It's like, that's such a waste of a good, like, all craziness aside, she was a pretty decent character. Like, she was interesting enough that we were trying to figure out what was going on with her, you know? And for her to be in this show just for that purpose, it's just kind of like, I just, I one, I will say I do kind of feel some kind of way because she is like one of the only uh, or one of the few actors of color in this show. And that was her purpose. That's just kind of that didn't sit well with me. But I mean, <sighs> poor Juliet. Uh, well, I don't know about all about poor Juliet, but I do understand. I do agree with what you were saying. I mean, she she really literally was bred to trap 
to trap Matthew. And it just seems like Jabert's life goal in like for hundreds of years is just to dethrone the the Claremonts to get back at Matthew, mm-hmm. to get back at get back at Baldwin. Like that's his that seems to be his life goal. Like he doesn't care about he hardly cares about anything else other than messing with the, the Claremonts and trying to take their power. Like that's that seems like to be his life goal. And he and he has proven that he will do anything to get to that goal. Even in even siring somebody and drilling it into him, like basically basically pulling a clockwork orange and 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 like hitting this, almost doing whatever he can to make them focus on one thing. Mm-hmm. And that and that and that's just that's really not fair to her. Mm-hmm. I mean, of all of all vampires to sire her, he had to go. She had to be be with her, be with him. Mm-hmm. And he he's already proven that he's just a really shady character, shady and bad character. Yeah, I I think my my distaste for his character kind of grew with this episode, not just because of Juliet, but for other things that happened in the episode. But he's just yeah, it's just. Uh... Um, I think it is kind of, as you said, Mike, he has reached the father Cardin status 100%. in my head, you know, in my head, it's just kind of like, okay, you know what, this character needs to go. But also at the same time, it intrigues me because just like, just like with Satu and Diana, you know, the, the obsession that she has with Diana and we were trying to figure out exactly what it was that she was obsessed with. It's the same kind of thing. Like, I want to know what is it about the Declaremonts that's that Jaber hates so much that he literally has been trying for hundreds of years to undermine them and and to like dethrone them or you know just kind of he just I, wants I, what they I think, have. I think he just doesn't like not being the one in charge. I think that's he's he doesn't seem to be a person who's who maybe in his previous life he was the one who everyone answered to and now he's not in that position so he has spent you know the majority of his vampire life trying to be the top dog again but you know what it maybe if he had more initiative <laughs> and i just say that because later in the episode when he he's having a conversation and he says that he was there when philippe created the congregation so my thing is you've been around since the beginning you've been around for not at least 900 years you've been there since the start so what was the difference between philippe de claremont and you that philippe came up with this idea and of course he would put himself in the position of power because it's his creation why well, aren't you I, smart I enough to come up I, with something like that if you're so brilliant? Philippe is probably older and therefore, as a vampire, more powerful. So mm-hmm. he probably had no choice but to be like, sure, boss. Right. <laughs> Whatever you want, boss. You know what I mean? I think this, I mean he, the, the congregation was something to, to benefit everyone, to make sure they didn't tear each other apart. And Philippe being the most powerful vampire is like, this is what we're going to do. Zubair and the others probably didn't have a whole lot of say in it. Mm. You know, considering how powerful the Declaremonts are and how powerful Philippe and Isabel are, they probably didn't have much of a choice. And once you got, you know, the most powerful witches to go along with it, then that 
that pretty much seals the deal. Right. Yeah. This is like a Disney villain level of petty to be doing this because <laughs> you're because you're not you're not in charge. I mean, he's like this is like Jafar and Hades level like immaturity. Yeah, it's just like the when um when Hades was leaving, he's like if only you know he's like you know you could have been in charge. He's like if only <laughs> if only. Mm. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I can hear the Her- I can hear the Hercules chorus in the background. It's like. He's an old vampire, and like, <laughs> so well, it's it, like, it, yeah, he's just ridiculous. Well, it it could also be the fact that Philippe and the Claremonts they are a family, and it kind of looks like he has people around him, but he doesn't have a, a solid foundation. And a lot of people are are jealous when they see a solid put together. Uh, family that works as a unit toward a common goal and it could be that back in the day he was simply just you know hating and jealous and he could never or was unable to to put his own quote-unquote family together I mean I mean you've got Juliet yes she's his daughter but she was a pawn she was a thing to him and he never loved her and I think that that had a lot to do with how he deals with the declarebots as far as a power thing is concerned. I think that maybe in his human life, he couldn't achieve the power that he wanted. So now that he's a vampire, he's moving on trying to amass power. But it just seems that, you know, there's certain people that no matter how hard you try, you will never be inside the cool group and you will always be an outsider. Mm. Well, in his, in his human life, I think he was, he was a Pope. So you don't really get more powerful than that. You know, well, that depends on what country your pope in, uh, actually. Well, he was the pope. Well, it, well, pope. well, no, no. Well, Wait, okay. who was if the you, pope? Jaber. Jaber. Oh. In if his you, human life. If yeah. you were the pope at that time, which is what about sixteen something. If you were the pope, there. At, by the way, there was at one point in time there was like seven or eight different popes at the same time. So being pope was like not a big thing. Uh, I mean, it was, but you know what I mean. If you were pope in France, it was a little bit more than if you were actually pope in Rome at the time versus whoever was in England with you know beginning of the beginnings of the Church of England. But if you were the pope in France and you were actually the top dog. Um, and if you were the Pope in Italy, uh, you, you had enough juice, but they were fighting. You were trying to put your children. Yes, they had children, uh, in various different positions and stuff. So there was a huge, uh, uh, chess game back then. So just because he was Pope doesn't mean that he was all powerful. It means he had power, but it doesn't mean that he was actually it. Okay. Talking about Catholic priests putting children in different positions is just, Oh, okay. And on no, that- I said they're children, not other kids. I said they're children because they they were married back then. Oh, okay. <laughs> and on that note, we're gonna go back to the show. We're gonna go back to Juliet and Diana in the barn. So Juliet has Diana in the chokehold, and of course Matthew comes around. He sees Juliet, and and she has her dialogue to him. Basically, you know, she's upset. She tells him that he abandoned her. She was sired only to to be with him and you know she has no value and he apologizes for that and you know her thing is this is what I was made for I was made to be the person for you and yet you go and mate with her I want to see what's so interesting about her 
And she, you know, she basically makes Matthew kiss Diana because she wants to see, um, I, I guess, whatever this connection is, this chemistry is or whatever. So what she does is she throws Diana to the side and then she takes a swipe at Matthew and she severs one of his arteries in his neck. And then she sticks her hand in his chest into his heart. And it's... I guess it's kind of, it's weird because we think about Matthew as being this, like Matthew has been around for so long and it's kind of hard to get the drop on him. But I think at this point, like Juliet kind of one upped him because he, he was distracted by Diana trying to make sure that she was okay, that she was safe and she gets the upper hand on him. And, you know, like I said, she tears out an artery. She sticks her hand in his chest and as he falls, Diana pretty much, she grabs Juliet and pushes her away. And she goes to Matthew and Juliet says something to her about your witch powers can't save him because she knows that the, the blows that she has dealt to Matthew are fatal. And at this point, you know, I said this a couple of episodes ago. I said when Diana and Juliet finally meet up, I kind of felt sorry for Juliet because I knew that was going to be like some shit and it's some shit, <laughs> you know, Diana turns around. She summons the witch wind to kind of hold Juliet back. And then all of a sudden, witch fire, which we have not seen from Diana up until this point, she uses this witch fire. She creates a fiery bow and arrow and she shoots it at Juliet and kills her. So Diana she becomes the huntress, Diana the huntress. With yes. Yeah. yes. She became Katniss from the Hunger Games. She became <laughs> Mockingjay. She, she became a combination of a whole bunch of things because there was a lot going on. She had the wind going, you know, she, she had the fire going. She, I mean, she basically, she made her first kill, you know, at this point now it's like, oh, there's no turning back, you know? She's in this. So she um, she goes back to Matthew. And of course, Matthew, Matthew is dying at this point. And she calls out to the goddess and basically begs for him to be saved. She says, I'll pay whatever, whatever price there is. And the goddess says, give him life. And magically a knife appears in Diana's hand. And at this point, uh, Marcus and Miriam from the house they realize that something is going on with Matthew so we see them racing to the barn Sarah and Emily come to the barn so they're all there gathered and Marcus goes to Matthew to try to see what he can do and Diana's like get away from him and she basically she cuts her wrists and she tries to uh feed Matthew and he's drinking the blood, but it's not doing anything because apparently that that little bit of blood is not enough. And Marcus tells her, you can't save him. Your blood's not going to be able to save him. And they're trying to convince her to let him go. And she pleads to the goddess one more time. And she says, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll pay the price. And the goddess is like, okay. And as soon as she says, okay, Matthew reaches up and, she, and he starts uh, drinking from Diana's neck. And at this point, we already know that Matthew has been craving Diana this whole time. He's been showing incredible restraint in not going after her, even in instances where, you know, blood has been available or, you know, presented to him, like when he was taking her blood in the lab. 
And um, as he's draining her and we can see, you know, Diana's pretty much, she she's kind of fading. But as he's drinking from her, he also sees her memories. So he gets to see all the memories that she has of them meeting and kind of falling in love. And it's at the moment where he sees the memory where they declare their love for each other, that he's able to stop drinking, which again, I, he pretty much had the meal. I mean, she wanted to know what she wanted to know. It, she tasted it, like he it, it was the, it went the first time he had that meal. i tell you, <laughs> but, you know, I <laughs> I mean, be careful what you wish for in the supernatural world. Right. But I mean, he can I answer was, the question now. That's, yeah, <laughs> he, he, he can. But at the same time, I feel like that was something that was kind of hinted at because when she and Isabel were in the church and Isabel was telling her about saving his life, Diana specifically said, I, you know, if, if I if my blood could save him, I would I would do it in a heartbeat. And she pretty much got her chance to prove that. And also, you know, she I think in a way she also proved to Matthew that he can control himself around her. She's always been very adamant about the fact that she was safe with Matthew, that he would not hurt her. And technically speaking, he didn't in this, like she volunteered. She was trying to save his life and this was the only way that he was going to do it. And I mean, I've, he I've heard this before in other vampire lores, kind of like drinking from an arm or drinking from, you know, anywhere else on the body. It's kind of like, it's kind of like an hors d'oeuvre compared to going straight from the neck, straight from the source. That's like where the power is. That's where the strength is. So she, that's basically what she did. She saved his life and in the, at the same time, proved to him that he did have the ability and the strength and the willpower to stop, and that he wouldn't kill her. But I'm just, I'm just curious to know what what is the price that she's going to have to pay. That's right. It's kind of open ended. You know what? I think the price that she was supposed to pay was supposed to be her life. And because I think maybe even the goddess or whoever it was that she was praying to, that she was speaking to, knew the extent of Matthew's craving for her and thought that he would not be able to stop either. So it's basically you give him your life in order for him to live. And that was the price that she was willing to pay. Oh. It's just that Matthew had a Matthew had more strength than everybody gave him credit for. That's That's kind of how I took it. You know, she's supposed to sacrifice her life in order to save his. And instead, he was able to stop. And so she didn't die. She's weak, you know, but she's alive. And she, you know, as we see by the end of the episode, she's fully recovered, you know. So I don't think yeah. there was any other. I don't think there was anything else that she was supposed to any other price. I think that was it. Her price was supposed to be her life. But her her bounce back was strong, though. But if she but if she didn't pay with her life, then the then the debt is still owed. Not not necessarily. Not necessarily. Mm -mm. Not necessarily. Because the she did what she was supposed to do. She paid her price. It was on Matthew to stop. Matthew could have taken Matthew could have taken every last drop. Matthew could have killed her. 
but because of the strength of his love for her, he didn't. But Diana, that was not, a re, you know, Diana didn't renege. She paid her price. She did what she was supposed to do. She willfully gave herself over knowing that once he had a taste of her blood, he was most likely going to kill her. So no, I think the debt is paid. Yeah, her 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 willingness to give her life was enough to satisfy the debt. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't like she snatched her neck away at the last moment. She she completely she gave yeah, in. She gave in. Like yeah. she like like Hanukkah said, she did her part. She willingly gave herself to Matthew. He was the one that didn't kill her. So you know, but. The, uh, that, as far as the guys is concerned, based on what Hanukkah said, that that debt would be paid. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this this raises more questions now, as far as Diana goes, because as Miriam says a little while later, witch fire wasn't even in Diana's DNA markers, so they have no idea where this power came from. Um, she also mentions that Diana does not descend from any of the ancient clans. So when they're doing all of this witch DNA um, research, they stated that all witches come from one of four clans. Apparently Diana comes from none of them. So again, this is kind of... Demon. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But a demon with witch powers, that's just... Sophie has visions and she's a demon. That's true, but I I don't know. Visions is one thing, but Diana is like conjuring stuff. She's conjuring earth. She's conjuring fire. She's I think conjuring- she, she may not be a full-blooded demon. She may I think she may have demon blood. Mm. In, yeah. in that she may be like partial part demon. Like maybe when her parents was her father could have been a child of demons. I mean mm-hmm. we Again, it's like time travel. That demon thing just kind of is that variable that just throws everything out of whack. Right. It's like saying she's part Cherokee. Like, yeah, my dad was half Cherokee, so I'm quarter Cherokee. Mm-hmm. So it's like a quarter demon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, until, until we know the full extent of the significance of the demon's effect on the supernatural world, we really won't have the answer to any of those questions. And I will go back to my belief that it's possible that that they're not even from that time, like this time. It's possible that her parents are, are from back then and time walked all the way to the future. I mean, we don't know. Or yeah. maybe yeah. It, there's, there's just a lot of variables. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I think that for for her lineage, I think the thing is, is that if she is descended from demons or her parents, and she's not from any of the four main lines, then it could be, and I'm going to throw this out here, could be a mutation. It could be an anomaly. It could be one of those things where you are uh, trekking along, and you have a kid, and your kid is uh, abnormality, and the abnormality may not be present in you, but it shows up in your kid later on. I mean, you know, it, it, it could be any, any number of things. I, I think that she is tangentially related to the four, one of the four clans because of her Aunt Sarah. 
And I think that she's a known bishop. I don't think that she's not a bishop, but it's possible that Professor Xavier and you know the House of M, you know, popped up and they intervened, and there she is. They are in New York. This is true. This is true. I mean, but because you you can't completely uh, explain away the fact that she is recognized as a bishop. And the bishops are recognized as one of the four main witch lines. So you can't just throw that out the window altogether. Yeah. You know, the other, the other funny thing, and of course this is going back to, or this is going towards, um, you know, what we know of as common societal rules or whatever, but I didn't realize until this episode, or I didn't really pay attention to the fact that, um, Diana has her mother's surname. Her mm-hmm. father's surname is Proctor. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, that was just kind of weird to me because of course, you know, usually children, they have the, the father's last name or, or, you know, that sort of thing. So I just kind of wonder if that maybe has anything to do with her powers or how powerful she is. Like if she had, if she had taken her father's surname or if she had her father's surname, would that have done something to her magic? I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those things that's really weird to me where you see the parents are together and the child is the, the biological child of the parents, but she only has one last name. Is Proctor, Proctor a clan, a, a known clan like, like Bishop is? I don't remember. Because that's what I'm thinking is maybe they wanted they wanted her to have the name of a clan if, in order to it, for protection or to say that she belonged to them or something like that. Maybe I don't know. It, it is kind of weird. It is kind of weird. It's like they. It's almost like you know he they like they weren't really like it was kind of a dalliance almost like she was okay. Like she got pregnant and she had a baby and she didn't tell him right away. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. I'm looking up now and yes, Proctor. And that I was sitting here trying to remember. Proctor is the name of one of the um, one of the men that was hanged in Salem after being accused of being a witch. So yeah, so he's got a prominent. So that you know what that would actually. That could explain a lot about Diana's power too. You know, she comes from two well-known uh, names in the witchcraft but, community. But didn't you just say that Miriam said she wasn't descended from the, one of the four from the four clans? Oh, uh, that's what Miriam says. See that? That's that's just. I don't know. That's that's one of those things. I think we're going to have to re- research and look into more. Or maybe it'll maybe it'll come up in in season two a little yeah, bit. I just remember I just remember Proctor from the Crucible. If you ever if you watch, that's a yes, great. that's what yeah. I was thinking that when was when one, Mike that asked. Was I was one, like, yeah, wait, that was I knew it sounded the, familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the people that was hanged for being yeah. witch. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, uh-huh. well, let's go away from them for a minute. Let's go back towards uh, Venice and the congregation so <laughs> Jaber and Domenico <laughs> and I'm laughing because I'm thinking about 
what Anthony said about Domenico when we first were introduced to his character about how he is one of those characters that's, you know, basically trying to climb his way up. Right. And um, so Domenico goes to Jaber and he's letting him know that, um, you know, he has some information for him. And he was like, yeah, you know, I shouldn't be sharing this with you. And the fact that I will be, I think that warrants a reward. And Domenico, I mean, excuse me, Jaber literally calls him a greedy little shit <laughs> and says, you've had enough handouts and you could kind of see Domenico's face kind of change. He's like, now tell me what you know. And Domenico's looking at him like, Hmm. Okay. I think at that point, Domenico was kind of saying, you know what? I've had it with Jaber. This is it. I'm done. He's already feeling a little bit emboldened because of the fact that his suggestions led to Juliet leaving him and that that's kind of how we wh- how we see him in this episode he's coming back to give Jaber status because he's been out looking for, for Juliet for Jaber but um you know he even has to throw that thing in Juliet doesn't usually do anything um, I think this uh, this also stems back to him meeting with Baldwin and telling him because I think he's he's really again this is how Domenico works. He plays both sides towards the middle mm-hmm. for his own benefit. So mm-hmm. he was Most talking definitely. to Baldwin saying that he had Satu and he went he went to Gerber saying that he had Satu. One of them one of them was willing, sort of willing to play ball, the other one was like, screw all that, just just get to the point. Right. So he's like, all right, cool. So mm-hmm. he so he he already probably had a plan. He probably I think I like like I think like I said last time, Domenico is probably one of the smarter people in this in this show besides Matthew and and Baldwin because he he always has he's good for having a plan in case a plan doesn't work. He has a plan to cover this plan and a plan to cover this plan. And he and of course, like I said before, he deals in information. So and he deals in favors. So now he, so he's willing to, he's willing to help out whoever is going, is willing to give him enough favor to get to a position wherever he wants. And that's, and once we, once we see how all this plays out with the congregation, we see that he's, he's putting himself in a position where, where he's going to have, he's going to have a lot of a lot of new currency as far as as far as having favors favors owed to him right but i I think at this point too he's figured out i think once he's had this particular conversation with javert it's already kind of cemented in his mind which way he's going to go because if you think about the last episode when he told baldwin that he had satu and that he was going to hold on to satu baldwin was like wait what do you want and, you know, Domenico was like, nothing today, but I might want something a, a day or two from now or maybe next week. I, I, you know, I'll keep you posted. And then he, when he goes to Jaber, like he, he doesn't even tell Jaber what he has. He just says, I have information that I'm not supposed to share with you. And Jaber is basically like, I'm not giving you any more handouts, you greedy little shit. So it's like, basically, in my mind, if I was Domenico, Oh, okay. 
I already know where my new allegiance is going to lie because Jaber just let you know in that one little sentence how he feels about you. You know, you're nothing but a bottom feeder. So anyway, he does take Jaber to see Satu and, um, you know, Satu is she's looking kind of rough she still doesn't have her magic back and Jaber kind of deduces this he asks about Meridiana and when Satu tells him that she let her go he asks about Diana Bishop and he's like is she as powerful and Satu says she may be more powerful and Jaber is pissed he's like you let her get away from me you let her go to Matthew and Satu is like that's not what I wanted and then she tells him a little bit more about I guess she kind of sort of understood the prophecy maybe a little bit more than Jaber did and she basically says we need to get Diana away from him you know if she's going to be the if she's going to be the one to undo the children of the night we've got to get her away from them don't know why they would think that but I mean Apparently, that's what they figure they need to do. So she tells him that Baldwin has been keeping her there, you know, because she's a threat to him. She was like, don't you want to know why? And Jaber kind of exposes her neck. So we know that he's going to drink her blood and see her memories. And that's how he figures out that Baldwin was the one who helped Matthew come to Diana's rescue, you know. And so he's Baldwin sends... He sends an order for the congregation to reconvene. And so everyone goes back to the congregation and, you know, they're having their trial for Satu. And when they accuse her and basically they tell her that she's going to be off the congregation, she actually speaks up and says, you know, hey, I did what I did because I felt like you were working against the congregation and I was proven to be true. So now, like literally Satu has flipped this whole thing. Instead of it becoming about her, it's now about Baldwin, which is what Baldwin was trying to avoid in the first place. And they bring up everything like Jaber brings up the Knights of Lazarus and the fact that the Knights of Lazarus was started by Philippe and his sons as a parallel organization that was supposed to further the cause of the vampires. And of course, Baldwin says, that's not what it was. We help those that are unable to help themselves. And, you know, it, it obviously is a conflict of interest. And so the motion is made for Baldwin to have to step down. And then, of course, Jaber being Jaber and being a little extra, he has to go the extra mile and say, hey, what you did was treason against the congregation. We're going to behead you and set you on fire. Why did he think that was going to go over well? Be extreme. He, he couldn't control himself. Like he he couldn't just take the he he couldn't just take the victory. Right. He had to kind of rub it in and kill. And and the thing is though, dude, that's that's not how politics work. This is the modern age. We're just not going to do that because you say we should do it. That's, right. But like he says, we're just going to strip him of his title and be done with it. You want to <laughs> strip him of his title, behead him, burn him. You know, right? Him, and Baldwin says he's like, no, that's a punishment for the 14th century, right. not the 21st. And but you know, Jaber says, you know, this is the punishment we have available to us based on our rules. He was like, we don't have anything else. So you mean to tell me in 900 years you guys have not updated your rules? That's 
That's a problem. That's and what, a problem. And what's the hurry? It's like, you want to go ahead and do this now. And he said, this is the Bible solution. He's like, well, I don't care. We're going to go ahead and do it. Let's vote. He was like, whoa. Let's yeah. be yeah, figure anything out. It's like, you're trying to, he's trying to accelerate this. See, he's just like not. That's why when they, when they were meeting together, it was like, oh, see, that's two birds of a feather. Like they, <laughs> That's why they understand each other. They want to talk because they're like, oh, they're over there, they're over there conspiring over wine saying, yeah, yeah, he has her. Yeah, but how are we going to get her? Do we got to get Baldwin off? Yeah, we got to get Baldwin off. But how? Oh, I don't know how to do it. Okay, mm-hmm. we can go back to the meeting. And they're, they're like all conspiring and being all secretive. And it's like, again, it's just like Anthony said at first when Knox was trying to get the book. He you get, he, he could have gotten a book if he would have been a little more, a little more reserved in his approach to Diana. He probably could have gotten her to give the book back. Right. But he was like, okay, give me the book. Bring it up. Give it to me now. And then he rushed and he he fucked it all up. And he basically set all of this in motion. Right. Exactly. And he and he this is the same thing with Gerbert. He's like, Yeah, okay, we're gonna kick you off, we're gonna cut you, we're gonna cut you, we're gonna dice you in a little piece and do all this other stuff. And and Bob was like, No, we're not doing that. No, 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 no. <laughs> hold on a second. Like, slow down. And this, and he, he rushed. And it's like every time, every time something like this happens, you and you don't take your time and try to figure this out, you don't get anywhere. Right. And he, no one ever learns that lesson, though. And and see, Agatha is sitting over there like, if we had gotten rid of this white male patriarchy years ago, we could have updated the rules. But now y'all would have staying in charge and don't want let anyone, you know, make the necessary changes. But at the same time, I guess that kind of worked out in her favor as well, because she's the one who brings up the fact that, oh, but there is one rule that is also present, and that's that everybody in the chamber gets a vote. So they all get to decide, you know, they all get to vote on Baldwin's fate, including Satu and Baldwin, because technically speaking, they're both still on the council. And Satu, that was hilarious. She's like, uh, do I still get to vote? <laughs> right. Like, do I get? Do I still get a vote? And they're like, yes, you're yeah. still in the congregation. And Baldwin was like, well, so am I, and I still get a vote as well. And you know, Jabert tries to put it to a vote immediately, and Agatha speaks up, and she was like, unlike y'all demons, we give everybody a say. So we're gonna go recess, and then we'll reconvene. So I really think that Agatha when when they recessed when she went with the other demons i think she may not have told the demons everything that was going on but she may have said hey if baldwin is trying to protect diana bishop i have it on good authority that diana bishop may be a key in helping us solve the issues with the demons and i think that was what made all three demons come back and you know vote in baldwin's favor to not kill him because she well, probably she should know something, you know. Of course, she's not going to out her son and his, and, and his girlfriend, wife, you know, whatever, whatever she is to him. She's not going to out her family, but she is going to let them know Diana Bishop can be important and can be a key figure in our cause to get the demons on a level playing field. Of course, what demon is going to be like? No. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah of course she and she probably said that you know if we force this issue there's no way we're going to get the book of life at all yeah because if we if we force this issue do all this other stuff diana's not going to trust any of us and the book's going to be lost 
again for another 100 years, 100, 500 years or so. Especially so, if you kill the brother of the man that she's in love with. Exactly. This, this, see, they're like, they're like, okay, this is stupid. Yeah, I got you. Okay, let's go. Mm -hmm. They so probably, they probably, I don't, I don't think, I'll probably, they probably didn't even deliberate four or five minutes after, after thinking about it. Really, probably. really stopping, pausing, and thinking about it. They're probably like, you know what? What the fuck are we doing? Eh, come on, let's go. But <laughs> Agatha was smart. She seized on that opportunity immediately. She's like, hold up. Yeah. And that's the one thing I like about her character because you, you have these other leaders that we've been introduced to. Now, granted, we don't know much about the other two demon representatives, but it's because with the vampires and with the witches, everyone there seems to have their own agenda. So they're not united, you know, and, and that causes when, when they're trying to deal with their own agenda, they're making mistakes because they're not working together and they're not looking at the big picture. Like, like you said with Knox, Knox is pretty much like, okay, I need this. I need this. He's like a now, 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 instead of really sitting there and thinking about the long game, as you, as you said, Anthony, Agatha is so different from them. One, because she's a woman, she thinks differently Two, I have to say this, she is a black woman and she is a demon. Both of those compared to the other two, they're, they're, they're marginalized. She, she knows what it's like to be on the bottom rung of the ladder. And she knows what it is to be patient and to think and to strategize in order to work her way up. And I feel like that's what she's doing now. You know, she's like, yeah, we're going to let all these little white boys fight amongst themselves and destroy each other. And then the demons are going to slowly rise to the same ranks to where we're on an equal playing field. And that's her goal. Like she thinks about these things. She strategizes, not to mention just my personal opinion. She's more intelligent. She's more well-spoken. She's more collected than the other guys on the council the only other person who comes close to her is satu you mm. know or baldwin i mean I, especially I mean, she made jerbera look like look like an angry angry southern congressman she's like hang him <laughs> hang him high and she was like no we're not going to do that i mean she basically kamala harris and she was like sir i'm speaking i'm speaking we're not going to do that we're just going to go talk about it then come back but it's like she, like you said, she did. She took control of the situation and didn't let the lynch mob get carried away and start hanging people. She mm -hmm. was like, "That's not what we're doing." And that, that that's uh, definitely. Go ahead. We don't really like. I was just thinking about not to derail this conversation, but I was thinking about the politics of the situation again, and you would think that they would be trying to endear themselves to the demons because that's the voting block of three like that's a third of the congregation so you know they have all these centuries of of being voted against but you would think that at some point you might need their votes on your side so why not get throw them a bone every once in a while because they were not expecting Domenico to be the swing. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm saying yeah. in general, 
And like, you know, we don't really know how think... often they meet. We, they don't vote very often. But you would think, if you're thinking long-term, like, let me make sure that the demons are kind of, you know, with me on my side. But see, they don't think, they don't think high enough of the demons. No, like, they don't. The demons are there. You know, they have a place on the congregation, yes. But as far as them being an equal voice, that's 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 only surfacy. They don't yeah. they don't really care about the demons. They don't care about their opinions. And as far as they're concerned, if you think about it, with the witches and the vampires, as long as they're as long as they all have kind of sort of the same goal, which is to further the witch and vampire agenda and to leave the demons kind of where they are you know, being unorganized, being unimportant, being un, you know, unequal to them. They don't need the demon boat. There's I know, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, well, if you're Baldwin, you would kind of want that in your back pocket because, you know, in that rare instance that the vampire, the demon, I mean, the witches want something that the vampires don't, it would be nice to kind of be like, hey, buddies. I got your back, and then the demons vote for you. I'm just saying, just for the rare instance, you know, like maybe your head is on a chopping block, you know, but but here's and the they're thing trying too. to remove you from power. Here's the thing, know? too, though. Baldwin has the ego of being a declaremont. He doesn't think that that's ever going to happen to him. You know, I, his family I'm, has been in I'm power. Just, his family has been the I, lead for 900 I, years. Why would, would he think. worry about that? He, he wasn't for it thinking enough, but luckily for him, right. someone, someone was looking out for him. Yeah, see, and you also, you also have to think about it, like to Gerard. Just I mean, having having demons on there, especially having Agatha on there, is like is the supernatural supernatural is a literal and supernatural version of affirmative action. And it's like he's he's probably just like, huh, like you really okay? You're here. Congratulations, yay! I'm gonna ignore you now. So it's like they they underestimate her and they underestimate probably any other demon that they have on there because demons aren't are thought of as second class citizens basically mm -hmm. it's like their their opinion really doesn't matter to them they don't care right so it's like you know i mean reaching out to them is only something they'll do if it maybe if it benefits them but like you said it's like vampires already have a inflated sense of self-worth so it's like unless they really really need them or if if it's a life or death situation like Baldwin was facing mm -hmm. like you know that's the only way they'd be like oh god I need you okay I need your help let's talk that's the only way other than that they're kind of vestigial as far as the running of the congregation right but I'm gonna come back to the congregation later because there's there's something else that happens later on in the episode that makes me question something about the congregation but we'll come back to that um so in the midst of all this baldwin calls matthew to basically warn him that the congregation is about to reconvene and that you know you may be running out of time i may not be able to keep stalling them and as they hang up the phone, Matthew's kind of walking through the house and the house kind of summons to him. So we talked about how the house has been sending messages and just kind of doing things for them, like providing them with clues, providing them with uh, insight to the past. And so the, the den, I guess that's what that room is, the den or the family room starts shaking. And when Matthew walks in, 
there's something that shoots out from the fireplace and it's described as a poppet. It looks like a little bitty doll. And, um, you know, Diana tells him that, you know, it's a witch's poppet. This is something that, that they use for their magic. And, you know, he makes a comment, hey, isn't this something that your ancestor had issues with? And that was basically how, um, that was what they used as quote unquote evidence in order to convict her as a witch. And inside that little poppet, there is an earring. And Matthew says that the earring belonged to Isabeau and she lost it like hundreds of years ago. So it's kind of like, he's wondering now, what is this house trying to tell us? Like the house is giving them gifts, you know, these different little things. And they're trying to figure out like, how is this all related? You know, what, what does the house know? First of all, what does the house know? The house knows all. <laughs> but and first of all, hello, puppets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had, to, I had to get that out. But it's like the first. It looked like at first I thought it was a frog because like it came out of the chimney, then it hopped a couple times, and I was like, mm-hmm. "What the heck is it doing?" Yeah, it was. It was sitting there like moving, almost like. I hate to say it. It's like it's like the house is like hit when you hit like a squirrel in the street and it's still sitting there like wagging its tail while it's sitting there stunned. No, I never I never look back after I hit something. I'm just like I just keep going. Like, all right, I'm sorry. Sorry. But it's like it's it's kind of like the house was like was like nudging it, like, here, take it. Right. Right. Here. And he and he was just like looking at it like, oh. And and I think it was Basically, they were having a, you know, they're having a discussion later and Matthew is trying to figure out, okay, so this is what we need to time walk. And he's, he's going, uh, he's having a conversation with Emily and with Sarah and they're talking about the the things that they will need. And, you know, Emily mentioned that Stephen said that he needed to have three things from the past in order to transport himself to a particular time. So it's safe to say that maybe this earring is one of those things like it you know isabel lost it hundreds of years ago and it can't be a coincidence that this comes up you know oh this is what we forgot to mention while we were talking about the whole diana matthew sacrificing thing so as as diana is recovering from giving her blood to matthew that is when he suggests to her that maybe they need to time walk. He's like, if Juliet could find us, that means Knox can find us. That means the congregation can find us. Maybe we should time walk, hide in time. And so this is kind of where the conversation is going here in the house. So back at set tour, you have Marta, you have Isabel, and you have Hamish, and they're all taking different things of Matthews from around the house. And Hamish is on his way to Madison to bring those things to Matthew. I'm guessing those are the th- some of the things that they will need in order to time travel or to time walk. And Hamish also brings Sophie and Nat with him so that Sophie and Diana can meet and she can give her the statue. And when they got there, I'm sitting there looking around the table. I'm like, we've got a mini congregation. We've got three demons. We've got three witches mm-hmm. and we've got mm-hmm. three vampires. Mm-hmm. That was for me, that was like the coolest part of the episode. And also because you kind of see these, you you see these people who are so different and who obviously 
you know, they have their own prejudices against the other species or the other creatures. And we saw that a lot in the last episode with Sarah and the vampires, like she was very hostile. But at this point, you can see she's kind of softening up to the point where even towards the end of the episode, she has literally embraced all of these people who are now in, you know, in their lives because of Diana. But Sophie gives Diana the statue and Matthew recognizes it. It's a chess piece that he lost a few hundred years ago in a bet on All Souls Night. So again, you've got the earring, you've got the statue. And we find out later, uh, Matthew basically tells her this earring was in the same place that this chess piece was on the same night. So it's kind of giving you an idea of where they might need to time walk to because you've got these two pieces that obviously were in the same room at the same time, but we don't know at this point how far back it goes. We just know it's a couple of hundred years. I'm out. Uh Time out. Okay. (laughs) Time out. This is not a theory. Time out. This is what what were these what what was her father and mother doing? What were Robert and Rebecca doing? Because obviously this chess piece was not passed down in Sophie's family by happenstance. Right. Because yeah, Matthew it, even asked her, or she asked Matthew once she realizes that that's where it came from. She was like, Well, how how has it been in my family for these you know, for these generations. And Matthew's like, I have no clue. Right. Because he said he lost it, right? Yeah, he lost it in a wager. Mm, I wonder he lost it to uh, your boy Robert. You mean to Stephen? Or Stephen, yeah. Oh. I'm saying. So you you do have a theory. No, it's not. This is not (laughs) not a theory. I'm just suggesting that and, and 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 maybe someone's Rebecca swipe Isabel's earring. Like they knew <laughs> that at some point they would need items from that time period in order for them to time walk back. But that means they would have to have had foreknowledge that that was going to be necessary. So I'm just saying w- w- these they were just bouncing around time, just you know putting things in specific places, getting all the chess pieces right. on the board. It, whatever, guys. <laughs> I'm sitting there so watching this episode game. like, oh, come on. Are y'all serious? I mean, it's y'all so basically... It's like just finding stuff and putting it there and making sure getting stuff is just like, oh my god. Like, See, this this is why people don't like time travel in certain things. <laughs> it's like, it's just like Anthony said, said in the previous episode, it's like time travel can be a crutch where he's just like, okay, wait, how'd they get the time... How'd, how'd they get, this, get the chess piece? Okay, time travel, he puts it there. Okay, wait, where'd the earring come from? Okay, time travel, he put it there. And it's just like, you know, you just kind of you just kind of use it to connect the dots. Like, I mean, it's just like just like using a oh, using a black sharpie to extend the tornado damage area, but no one would ever do that. But like you, you almost you almost want to say, guys, won't y'all just come back to the house and sit down and tell everyone what they're supposed to do. But you know how these things work. Where's the fun in this? <laughs> but also, also, I'm, I'm watching his his dark materials, and in there, there is another prophecy. But you know, apparently, the object of the prophecy cannot know 
the prophecy because she wouldn't do what she needed to do if she knew what the prophecy was. So they can't obviously tell Dana exactly what they need her to do or what she's supposed to do because it may decrease the likelihood of her actually doing it. Mm. So it yeah, time travel. Yeah, just, just like just like Doctor Strange, and, and then, like, right, you know. and then how are they supposed to? You so okay. I'm I'm trying not to go down this rabbit hole, but like, how can they fail? Like, how can she fail when the deck is stacked in her favor? Well, she still doesn't have control of her magic, so it, she has. Uh, they know at some point they <laughs> they must know she's gonna. That's, a, that's the They've role. already. That's the they role. even they even put it in the spell. Oh, we're gonna spell bind you, except. For when you actually need your powers, yeah, yeah, exactly. come on now. The, and then the, the powers help stack. you. You don't use the powers. The powers just come out and help you. You don't. Right. You don't really still have. You don't have. You really don't have control anyway. It's yeah. just like, and you, you know, someone kills someone kills your fiance. You get mad and you're able to shoot fire arrows. Okay, there you go. The, okay, because this is the thing, right? About the first thing I thought of about the three items to, you need to time walk. You know, you want to go to that specific time period. So. Honestly, they could have maybe chose just about any time period within the last 30, 40 years. Because think about it. He has, the, the, the Claremonts have these ancient ancestral castles all over the place which are, with all this ancient stuff. And I bet you Hamish, if they really wanted to, he could go onto the black market or go to Lords of Linden and find some old stuff <laughs> from a specific time. And they, but no, 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 no. We want you to have these specific items from this specific time period. You know, they, so it's almost like we are directing you to go to this here. particular time. Uh -huh. You know, and like I said, this. It, I, I sort of like for there to be an element of a possible failure, but at this point, whatever they do, they're going to succeed because obviously the deck is stacked in their favor. Even though you may think the odds are not in their favor, but it seems to me that they have everything they need to to get away and get everything they need in order to win. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So, I. I, it's still great. I like it. It's just, uh, you know, I, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I was over it because it's a pretty decent story. It's a really good story, actually, and it's pretty well written. And I know there's some things that you just can't get away from. But once again, we, time travel and these, you know, seemingly random acts of of intervention are not necessarily random. They are actually intentional acts of intervention mm -hmm. in order to cause a certain thing to happen by creating a certain condition in order for them to succeed, which I don't mind, but I, I, I do kind of like the idea that it's, everything is not going to go exactly the way it's supposed to be planned. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole, but I, I just needed to get that off my chest. It's <laughs> like, oh my it, God, it this earring, Isabel's right. earring that she lost the same night that you lost the chess piece in a wager. And you don't really remember. And this chess piece just happened to go down. So Fia's line, who just happened to have visions. And she also just happened to be a demon born of two witches. 
carrying a possible witch. Yeah, and that's something else that carrying, she feels to right. And, I think, and then she happens to marry the son of the demon representative on the council, and he happens to be a demon that's very interested in getting all the demons back together. I'm just saying, it's, it's a lot of you know happy coincidences. But I actually liked the happy coincidences, at least as far as the at least as far as the people who have now come together are concerned. Because as, as you can see in the next scenes, like Sophie, she's bonding with the witches. And like I said, at first, you know, Sarah was the one who was kind of against all of this and now it's like especially with Sophie coming in and them finding out that Sophie as a demon was born to witches maybe carrying a witch you know I think it it kind of once they all know that cross species breeding is actually a reality it's something that hap has happened I think I think that kind of tears down those last little walls of prejudices between those groups because you see Miriam is a little bit, you know, she's still serious, but she's a lot more friendly. She's a lot more open. Um, you see it with Sarah. Sarah's a lot more nurturing. She's a lot more, you know, especially like when it comes to Sophie, you know, she and M basically told her, hey, honey, you're with witches now. We would do whatever we can to protect you. You know, because Sophie says that she had a dream about the congregation coming for her and her child. And, you know, that kind of scares her. And they're like, oh, you're around witches. We, we got you. You know, we're going to do whatever we can to protect you. And then over here on the side, you see Nat and Marcus bonding together about the unfair regulations from the congregation and how they're using rules from thousands of years ago to kind of rule modern day and it's just you see a lot of interspecies bonding and that was my favorite part of this episode because earlier on in the series we've seen so much of the prejudices especially like with Knox and Jillian just their outright blatant hatred of the vampires so to see these different groups coming together because they all have something in common which that thing being diana and just getting to a point where they're gonna start working together i like that because i feel like they'll be able to accomplish more that way i think one of the reasons why the magic seems to be fading with the creatures why they can't do their specific things is because of the fact that they're they've been segregated for so long. It's kind of like you have to have a little bit of all of these ingredients to make a cohesive unit and to to be at full strength. And that's with anything. So if you've got the vampires doing their own thing over here, you've got the witches doing their own thing over here, and the demons doing their own thing over here, you're kind of separating everything and you're diluting everything. And that's why they're weakening. I mean, even Matthew told Diana that one of the reasons why the witches are not, um, are losing their powers is because as the generations come, more and more witches are not using their powers. But, you know, I just, I, I feel like this is a, this was a pivotal turning point for all of the species. And the change that's gonna come is gonna start with this little group. 
You know, it's not going to be the congregation. It's not going to be the Knights of Lazarus. It's going to be this little group of nine people here. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's kind of it's kind of cool that they were actually self self realizing that fact towards the towards the end of the episode where they're like, you know, we're kind of the congregation congregation ourselves. Yeah. And it's yeah. like the the more it's like, and I agree with you. It's like the more divert the more the more experiences diverse experiences you have the better off you are i mean it's almost like intellectual inbreeding where you don't know what what the other what other people are going through or what other species are going through in this case and you just you're kind of just going along your own line it just kind of it kind of hampers your ability to to think and to real to relate to people so yeah i agree right but towards the end of the episode, we start seeing the various groups. They're starting to leave Madison because Matthew and Diana are getting prepared to do their time walking. They're supposed to time walk between Halloween and All Souls. And as they're leaving, you know, the different little groups. So the demons leave first and Matthew gives Nat a card with uh, Isabel's information. And he's like, if you get back, and you start to feel weird about anything at all, you start to worry. He was like, take Sophie to this address, you know, and he's like, my mother's expecting you. So even Isabel has kind of gotten on board with all of this, which again is really good because they can probably offer all of them protection, you know, and it, it it's- it, Because it's no one's gonna mess with Isabel. I'm yeah, telling you right now. <laughs> or, 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 uh, um, what was the name? Uh, Martha? Marta. Marta, yeah. Yeah, I think Marta, I feel like Marta is a lot more powerful than we've been led on yeah. to believe. Like, not just with the way that she's able to detect magic, mm -hmm. but she's just always so quiet and she's always at Isabel's side. So, you know, oh, if she's quiet. always at Isabel's side, she probably can fight like Isabel and she can probably demolish like she, Isabel. She's her Luca Brazzi. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, she's she's the weapon. Now, did they say, and again, please forgive me, did they say in the series about uh, Isabel's background any at all? I can't remember. Did they Not mention? Yet. Did they Not mention? Yet. Okay, in the book, she was a witch or she had the potential to be a witch. And she was turned and she lost the power, but she also lost a child. Oh. Ah, and then another one of Anthony Anthony's theories comes to light where, yep. Yep. where everybody, where, you know, it's not, you being something is not necessarily static. Right, right. She had, she had, I think the book says that she had great potential. She was beginning to show promise. She married young. She either got pregnant or was pregnant and miscarried or something happened and she didn't have the child. And then she was quickly turned into a vampire. And so she has spent most of her life until she met Philip obsessed about the fact that A, she couldn't have children and B, that she didn't realize her witch powers. Oh, okay. But then that would also be why she kind of jumped on the chance to sire Matthew when he yes. was there, especially yes. considering, you know, she says she had watched him grow up. So it's kind right. of like she probably already had a connection with him. And that's the other thing I did want to mention about this episode. So 
when Matthew and Diana, they have to practice doing this time, time walking thing, because of mm. course, Diana is still getting the grip on her powers. So if she doesn't have control, if she's not even able to do it for short periods of time, it's going to be hard for them to do it for however long they decide to go back. So what they do is they decide to go back to the night that they had their dinner at uh, set tour. And this is also the night that I think Domenico came and found them and all this other stuff, but they go back in time. They time walk and I think it's 25 days. And so we get to see a little bit of the scene again where Matthew and his mother, they're dancing and they're enjoying each other. And it's a little more intimate this time because Matthew knows that this is his only opportunity that he will be able to tell Isabel goodbye before they actually time walk into time. And it adds, it adds a, another, like it adds a level of gravity to the scene, but also you get to see just in the interaction, how much Matthew and Isabel really do love each other. And I thought that that was really a sweet thing to add into the episode because we're so fraught with all of the drama and everything. And I like the little family moments that we see, even like with Agatha and Nat, you know, Agatha found out late about the fact that Sophie was born of witches and that they think the baby might be a witch. And they kept it from her because of the fact that she's on the congregation and they didn't want to put her in an awkward spot. And she, you know, in that episode, she basically told them, look, you are my family. This child is my grandchild. You are my priority first, you know? And you don't see that a lot when it comes to characters who are in these powerful positions. It's basically, they are going to do what they need to do to secure this position. But you don't see this. Like the family dynamics in this show are very important. And I, I do like that. You know, you see it even with Sarah and her aunts, like there's a little bit of, um, you know, there's a little bit of pulling back and forth between them. But once they're all on the same page, like once the absolute truth comes out about Diana and her being spellbound and what that costs the family, if, if you think about it, you know, Stephen and Rebecca left to try to pull Knox and pull the congregation away from Diana they ended up you know losing their lives and you know it's just a whole bunch of different drama that goes into that but once that once those secrets are out in the open you can see Diana and her aunts they have a much better relationship and so it it really does tell speak to the importance of family in the show I have a question mm -hmm. okay so then in the second trial, when they go back to to Setor, did they went back in the past to that moment after, to that moment where it actually happened, right? Like to where to where that whole dancing scene where where he danced he danced with his mother, then he danced with he danced with Diana, and she and she started glowing. Is that is that the moment that they went back to? I. Believe yes. so. I believe so. Because I was okay. going to ask the same question. That... Yeah. How? Now I'm confused because okay, so now did they do that? Now did her did he did her mother know that she was going to go through this twice, or did they go through it once? And did or, I'm not I'm kind of confused about how this works. 
What do you mean? See, I have the same question because then that means that when we first saw the scene, that was them from the future. Or that's the second time that they did it. I think no. this was the second time that they did it because even before they went back, Diana asks him, she says, how, what will happen if we bump into our past selves? And he says he doesn't think that will happen because he thinks it's a different past. So I don't know if when they go back in time or when they time walk, if it, okay, I, I'm going to admit, I am not an expert on time travel. <laughs> that confused the hell out of me See, but I feel like I feel like and this is kind of like uh, if you think about it with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this past season they kind of did the same thing where they had, they went back in time and every time they went to a different past it created like a different alternate version of the timeline I don't know if that's what happens here. But, no, let's let's not go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> no, 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 no. Haven't no, haven't watched it no, yet. You're not spoiled. Not, let's not, let's yeah. not go down this rabbit hole. So, so, so this because okay, I, I I decided to take the simplest version, the simplest answer, the easy answer. The easy answer is because the scene played out almost exactly like it did the first time, right? With the dancing and the conversation, all that stuff was essentially the same. Because so, therefore, it made me think that when we saw them initially, that was them coming back. Because that would be the simplest answer. Anything else makes it more complicated than it needs to be. Because when you're talking about creating alternate timelines, then you would say, well, well, then if they were doing the same thing they did then, then where were their selves at that time during that same time? Like, they they had to have remembered that maybe we weren't there. And, like, they went back and actually they were somewhere off in the garden fooling around. But they didn't remember. They didn't actually remember being at the dinner. Okay, you understand? Know like I, almost, I, I, almost I, as if, almost as if they didn't actually remember being at the dinner. Like we saw it happen, but that wasn't something part of the memory. They just know that we were supposed. Maybe they were. We were supposed to have dinner with them, but I don't remember. We we didn't go to dinner with them. We did something else. Well, then maybe this is a good time to go back and have dinner with them. Or yeah, like they like they did have dinner, but after dinner they went and walked around the garden instead of dancing instead of going there and dancing with them. Right. So, okay, so what would you but do when they walked but, but they, they actually did have dinner. See, that doesn't but see, that doesn't make sense to me because when they walked around the garden the first time, they were clearly just establishing a relationship. Right. But that we were see that's that's where you kind of get into trouble because then like, well, were we actually seeing them then? Be, but we weren't seeing the future because the future ones were, were still in the house. I don't know. Okay. I, feel, I feel like I'm back out the necklace with all the, all the equations going past my head like trying to figure this out. Like, right, right. That, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's my, first, my first question I see what you're saying. But, yeah, my question is, so then when we initially see them at the dinner and the dancing and all that stuff, that was actually them from the future because their selves, their present selves at that time were not there. They were somewhere else. They were up fooling around out in the garden, whatever. And then when we see them at that time in the garden talking, during that time, they were 
still their future selves were in there hanging out with Isabel and Marta. But yeah, they don't yeah, remember, sure. they didn't, because remember, they didn't remember, I'm, I'm assuming that they didn't remember having dinner with them. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they, maybe they skipped out to do something else. And they're like, oh, well, do you know what? That would be a good time to go back and actually have the dinner and show up. It's really, it's really confusing. Yeah, I right? don't know. I think, I think what I'm just going to do, I'm going to go online and find a recap or find someone <laughs> because I'm sure someone has, has, I'm sure there is something out there that explains what happened during that time walk because I don't think. Because it, it's messy if you're going to do, do, it, do it the way that you think they did it. And then you're talking about, because, because if they went, the, the probability of stuff getting really screwed up is too high. And then you're talking about creating alternate timelines. And then that means that when they jump to the future, it's not going to be that right future that they jump to. Mm. So we, we, we prefer to keep things nice and tidy and have one consistent timeline. And in order to maintain that singular consistent timeline, and if you're not going to be a show, that is not going to be about alternate timelines, then you don't want to throw that possibility out there. Like, if mm -hmm. that's not going to be a part of your show, then you don't want to do that. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, then, because then that becomes sort of one of those weird things that a lot of your pe people watching it that's going to go over their heads and be like, what is this? This doesn't make any sense because it's not part of the show. That, that the alternate timelines is not important. The important thing is they went back during a time when they weren't there and fill that space in when they were supposed to be there in order for them to test out their ability, her ability to time walk. And so, anything beyond that, you start getting into alternate timelines and you start talking about well, what, how, how was it possible that they didn't actually go to the dinner, but we actually had an episode where they went to the dinner. Then you're talking about inconsistencies. And the only way to tidy that up is to say, well, they actually never went to the dinner and, danced, and he danced with them. He actually did that later. And we just ended up seeing it before we actually knew it occurred. Yeah, the best, ex ex the best explanation is a straight line. I get it. But it's, uh, um, I still. Time travel. Time travel. It gets messy when you do it. Unless it's a Doctor Who show. Like, wait a minute. Works. I mean, because that really—that's the—that's the only—that's kind of almost the only logical explanation where they're not running into another version of themselves is if they're actually running into they're they're going somewhere where they actually weren't. Mm -hmm. But that's risky because what if they what if that time that timelines Matthew and Diana happen to walk in and they're like what the fuck and it's just like and see. And, and I, I, it's almost like I think I need to see the episode again because I swear I, I, I want to say he said, "Yeah, I swear he said." Well, I don't. Well, we weren't there, so this will be. No, I think what he said was Di when they when they arrived. Diana said, "Are we sure?" What did she say? Are we sure that we arrived on the right night or at the right time? And Matthew said, "No," meaning no, they can't be sure. They so, can't be sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just played it back. Yeah. No, Hanukkah's right. So, 
I don't know. Well, it, but it ended up working out because that was the episode when we saw the previous episode. That was the same thing that happened when they went back. Yeah. So I don't know. I'll I'll go back and watch those two episodes because I do want to see what the similarities are and what the differences are. Because again, if if they did appear on that particular night that was also the night that Diana's magic started to glow while she was dancing. And then they went into the, in, into the uh, courtyard during their walk. And he mentioned that. So that's why I'm like, it can't, I don't know how those two events, like how they could cross with each other. So I, I, I don't know. Unless but, they, they were having dinner every night, doing the same thing every night. Yeah, you know, playing the, the same song, song really, wearing the so. same dress. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. come on, yeah. We'll we'll we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll, it's we'll it's one of those scenes where that. it's one of those scenes where you had one group of writers writing something, and then the writers kind of change towards the end of the season, and then they kind of remember, you know. And, and instead of remember. instead of doing the smart thing and going back and watching what they shot the last time, they just went ahead and wrote something new because ideas changed. Mm. Because, like, I don't, I don't remember her wearing that pantsuit. That's what I was like. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I'm with you That's because I could have sworn a dress, right? No, she had on that pantsuit. She did. Mm-hmm. She did. It was literally the exact same one. I, I, I could have oh. sworn it was new. Nope. But, um. Oh. Okay, so going going back to Madison real quick. We're talk- we were talking about when everybody was leaving. And one thing that I wanted to mention um, was Matthew and Hamish, they have a conversation about Hamish still staying on as a Knight of Lazarus. And Matthew tells him that he's going to give up his post as Grand Master because of the fact that if Diana does not master the spells that she needs in order to bring them back from the past, they may be stuck and may not be, may not come back. And Matthew says, you know, the Knights of Lazarus needs to have a grandmaster because people like Sophie and Nat and their baby, there may be others like them who need the protection. So what he ends up doing is before, before Miriam and Marcus leaves, he has a very touching scene with Marcus and he actually appoints Marcus as Grandmaster of the Knights of Lazarus. And I was kind of curious about this because earlier in the episode when Jaber and Knox are, you know, they're having their conversation about getting Baldwin out. Um, they mentioned that one of the caveats that Philippe created for the congregation is that a declaremont must always hold one of the nine seats in the congregation. So Knox brings up the question, okay, if it's not Baldwin and it's not Matthew, then who stands next in line? And Knox's, I mean, excuse me, Jaber's response is Marcus would take Baldwin's place. But he immediately says, yeah, but we won't have any problems with Marcus. Again, alluding to the fact that everyone thinks that Marcus is a pushover, right? So the other thing that we learned in this episode from Matthew when he's, uh, when he's, given this responsibility to Marcus is that when Philippe created the Knights of Lazarus, he created it and wanted it separate from the congregation. And he appointed Matthew as grandmaster with the 
with the promise that Matthew would make sure that Baldwin would never become grandmaster. Like they have to stay separate, which is why he's appointing it to Marcus. So my question at this point, or my thing at this point is, if Marcus is now grandmaster of the Knights of Lazarus and somehow Baldwin finds himself on the outs, that means the only other person now that will be able to take Baldwin's place on the congregation is Miriam. If Miriam is the one who ends up taking Baldwin's spot in the congregation, that's going to be very interesting because one, we all know Miriam is not a pushover. Like she and Marcus are completely different personalities. Right, right, so right, if right. Jaber and Knox think that they're going to have an easy time with Marcus, if Miriam comes in and takes that seat, it's going to be a whole different thing. And then that also means you have three very powerful women in their own right in each of the um, species representations for the congregation. But you have a problem. We do not have confirmation that Miriam is Matthew's daughter. So would you go to Isabel then? Well, no, I, I, I don't, don't think know. Isabel has any interest in being on the congregation. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, that's but a good point. That... But I don't I don't think I don't think I don't think Matthew would trust anyone not his sire with the information that he trusts Marcus and Miriam with. Mm -hmm. Again, we do not have confirmation that Miriam is his daughter. I believe That's she's part of the family, but I don't think she's, I, I, and this is me not knowing anything. I haven't spoiled. I haven't looked. I don't think she's his child. I think she's a part of the family. I think she's the Claremont, but I don't think she's his kid. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Well, if she's a declaremont, she could still take the seat. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's true. And and the funny thing is, her being on there would basically because she's so much like Matthew, it would be like if Matthew was on the congregation. Yeah. And that would right. be hilarious. Right, right. But she would also have an ally in Agatha. Right. Yes. Yes. Which would be I you know, I know that's prob this is probably far-fetched you know my theory that that's my theory and i'm sure it's far-fetched but i would just love to see that like for agatha satu and miriam to all have seats in the congregation that would be so much fun to watch but again that would that would take i think a lot of maneuvering and baldwin has managed to keep his seat so far so i don't see him going anywhere anytime soon now if the Knights of Lazarus end up having to go against the congregation, like Matthew says they might, then that might be an issue. I wouldn't want Miriam having to be on that side. But right, right. I just thought, I was like, oh, well, since Marcus is now out of the running because he's the grandmaster of the Knights of Lazarus, now he can't secede um, Baldwin if that were to become a thing. So who else could it be? And, you know, my thought was just like, Miriam, oh, that would be a way to get another woman on the congregation. But again, that might not happen. It was just wishful thinking on my part. I just wanted to mention it because that would be so much fun to see. Like, we don't know how, we don't know exactly yet how powerful Miriam is. We don't know how old she is. What we do know is that she's very intelligent, very smart. 
So, you know, she would give them a run for their money. You know, all the machinations, Domenico, something tells me Domenico wouldn't even face her. You know, Jaber, I, I just feel like she'd be able to hold her own against them. And I would love to see that because we haven't really seen her interact with anyone else except for Matthew and Marcus, you know, at least on that level. So, um, am I missing anything besides the last scene? Because we're going to get to that because <sighs> I got to tell you, the, the way that they ended this episode... <laughs> Okay, let's just go ahead and go there. So, of course, Matthew and Diana, they're, prep, they're, they're prepping to time walk. And at the same time, um, once the congregation has done their vote and realized that uh, Baldwin is actually not going to be banished and not going to be beheaded and set on fire. Do we talk about how Domenico saved his ass? Yes. I think we mentioned it earlier, mentioned just it. the fact that he was the swing vote. But yes, yeah. when they had to come to this vote, the demons all voted for Baldwin. Baldwin voted for Baldwin. And then Domenico was the swing vote. So the first the first vote was those who find Baldwin uh, guilty of treason, raise your left hand. So you get Knox, you get Satu, you get Jaber, you get uh, Sigismund. And then all of a sudden, like, Jaber's looking at Domenico, and Domenico is looking at him like, bitch, please. <laughs> like, that's literally the look he had on his face. He was like, oh, he was like, I'm a, I'm a greedy little shit. Yeah, I got your greedy little shit. All those, all those again. I, I, yeah, and, yeah, and he jumped, <laughs> and it, he jumped up and was like, okay, I'll, everybody for me? And everybody was like, <laughs> he was like, yes. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. yeah, that 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 was that was fun to see uh Domenico just kind of, you know, basically give Jaber the finger in the middle of the whole congregation. And of course, afterwards Baldwin is going to his room and Domenico is there waiting for him. He was like, I'll be in touch. So you know <laughs> Domenico's gonna get whatever he's I got this favor in right. my pocket. Right. <laughs> And then Agatha also Agatha got her favor in her pocket, right? right? So Agatha comes up to him and he he tells her thank you, and she was like, "I have my own reasons for wanting to protect Diana Bishop, but you owe us a debt." And she walks off. I was like, "Yeah, Baldwin is in everybody's pocket right now." <laughs> but but the, 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 the beauty of it is he he's got lucky that he's gone this long without having favors to owe people that's because true. usually people who are in power with that much power they they owe favors to people like all the time all the time and yeah. and he's been fortunate enough seemingly to have gotten this far without that and now now he's he's found the burden of leadership <laughs> yep he's owing favors yeah yeah to two other species at that at that so but mm. at this point, he calls Matthew to warn Matthew, hey, because one of the things that they do do is that, okay, yeah, they find you not guilty of treason, but they do demand that you tell them where Matthew and Diana are. And at this point, there's not really much Baldwin can do. I mean, you've already put them off for three weeks plus. So at this point, not really much else you can do, but tell them where they are. 
So Baldwin calls Matthew and Matthew's not answering his cell phone, but he leaves him a message. Hey, the congregation, they know where you are. You need to leave now. You need to go now. I don't even know if Baldwin knows that they're planning to time walk. I just know that he told them that you guys need to leave. You guys need to hide. You guys need to get, you know, somewhere where they can't find you. So he's telling them to do this. And he's like, hey, Jabir's coming. He's got the witches with him. So just be prepared for magic. And at the time, Jaber and Baldwin and Satu, no, excuse me, Jaber, Knox and Satu are arriving at the house. Of course, Matthew and Diana are the only ones there. The aunts have gone. They've actually gone to France to stay with Isabeau, which is going to be interesting. Can you imagine Sarah and Isabeau <laughs> wearing off? That's going to be fun. But anyway, so so it's just Matthew and Diana in the house. It's all souls night. They're about to get ready to time walk. They have their little pieces. And then Matthew tells her the year that they're going to. So it sounds like he says 1519. So they, you know, they, they do their thing. They, they hold hands. They lift their feet. And Diana tells him, don't let go. And just as she's saying that and they're getting ready to step down, Satu is performing an opening spell on the house because the house has been spelled for protection. She's breaking the barrier and it causes like a boom and it causes the house to shake. And this is at the exact moment that she and Matthew step down to time walk. So all we see is Diana turn around and she looks surprised. And then the fucking credits roll. I was like, what the fuck kind of cliffhanger ending uh, is that? What? Yep. Best ending ever. No. <laughs> no. Oh, I was so pissed. Only, I was pissed. The only reason why I'm not immediately mad is because I've seen the trailers for season two. <laughs> but I because was, my wait, my thought was, oh shit, he didn't make it back with her. Exactly. I thought that's she was by I, herself. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Like she time walked, and you know when the when the house shook, I thought either they unlinked hands and she went for it without him or I was thinking that the house shaking probably messed with her concentration and they actually ended up somewhere either somewhere else on the grounds or they ended up in a different time altogether like they time walked somewhere that they hadn't planned to time walk well the first time I saw it I thought they both went back in time, but he was in one spot and she was in the other. And that the next season, they would have to, quote unquote, find each other by episode four and come together and then find their way back. That would have been so horrible. I know, right? But of course, we don't know. That may still be what happens. I mean, we've mm -hmm, seen, mm -hmm. but I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I've seen the trailers for season two. So we do know at some point they are together in the past. I don't know if they're there immediately. It'll be like, be like, the, be like, season, be like season two of the Umbrella Academy where everybody's scattered to the wind. And yeah, something right. like that. So I, I don't know. Luckily, we, we only have a couple of weeks. <laughs> so it's not like this long drawn out. Oh my God, we've got to wait a whole year. We, we, we only have a few more weeks and then we'll find out. But 
again, I really, really, really am enjoying this show. And I think, um, like I said, I am going to start reading the book this weekend. Um, this episode here is actually our last Phantom Hybrid podcast episode for 2020 because Michael is going on vacation. Lucky you. And, you know, we're just going to kind of give it a break. We're right before the Christmas holidays and New Year's. We may come together to do Wonder Woman. But other than that, I think this is going to be it for 2020. And uh, we'll start fresh and new in 2021. And hopefully that will be a better year for us. And we'll be able to do more things. And maybe, you know, who knows? We We have a we have a few vaccines for COVID now and maybe we can start getting things back to normal and maybe we can start back going to conventions and things like that because this year was just horrible in, in terms of fandom related stuff. But um, going back to the show, I, you know, cliffhanger ending aside, I think this was one of my favorite episodes of the season. If not for the con for the mini congregation of our people, then just for you know, j- just to see the different things that everyone is doing like like we've always talked about how the vampires are, you know, kind of selfish and how they seem to have their own agenda and we we see Knox has been, you know, on this one path from the beginning, you know, we're just trying to get the book and then we find out he's really trying to get the power and then saw two as well. So it's, it's been kind of great seeing all of these characters develop into what they are at the present time. And I'm just kind of curious now. So if Diana and Matthew are in the past now, how does that affect Knox? Like, I don't think Knox is powerful enough to time walk. So it's going to be interesting now to see what he does. Like, is he going to figure out that they've time walked, that they've disappeared in time? And if so, what is he going to be able to do in order to pursue Diana and the book? If, if, if I could just say really quick, if you did watch the season two trailer, there is a quick scene with Knox and Knox is pissed. I mean, not bad. I'm talking pissed. Mm-hmm. And I forget who he's talking to, but he's like, they went back in time. And I'm not happy. And I was like, oh, it's on now. That's Yeah, I want to know how he finds that out, though. Because I wonder I wonder if Stephen being a time walker was common knowledge. Or was that something that a lot of people knew about? I, I, I think that from what I got from the trailer, and again, I haven't started the second book. I'm finishing up the first. I get the impression from the book that it was basically common knowledge that her father was a time walker, but they didn't know how good he was. Now, you can time walk back a couple of decades, and I got the impression that that was sort of accepted, just like M can fly, but M can only fly maybe 20, 30, 50 feet, and that's it, whereas that too could just go up in the sky. So you have power sets, and you have limits on how strong or how weak you are. So it was known that he had that, the variable that they didn't know was how strong Rebecca was in her power. So given that, I'm not surprised that Knox knows that they time walk because that's his, ch- that's you know, her parents' child. But I think he's more upset about the fact that they didn't 
and this is stupid of them. They didn't figure out that if she is so powerful, she could blow everyone else out. That, mm-hmm. that kind of might have been in her DNA to begin with. Right. Because, you know, I thought about it when my daughter was watching the episodes earlier. I noticed something and it didn't strike me until earlier today. So I spent a lot of this afternoon looking at some of the extras from the season mm-hmm. um, on AMC Plus and one of the scenes that I saw was when Diana called her aunts and she said, I think I saw dad. And they kind of looked at each other. And it's like now that look that passed between them makes so much more sense yeah. because it wasn't necessarily a vision or Diana's mind playing tricks on her. That might actually have been her dad that she saw in that moment. You know, he might have traveled forward to the future like Anthony suggested and and running, you know, running to Diana at the bot. So it's just kind of like, oh, so I feel like hopefully once I go in and I read the books, I have a little bit more insight on the characters and what they do. And of course, I know me once I start down this rabbit hole, I'm going to start looking at like wiki pages. I'm going to start looking at other things. So by the time you will find nothing on the wiki pages, the wiki pages are deliberately skim because I cheated today and I found basically nothing. (laughs) Okay. Well, I, I, I do know that there's like a companion, uh, book, for the books and it talks about um it talks about other things in the the trilogy so i may pick that up but i know me i'm i'm probably about to go straight down this rabbit hole i i have the feeling this show is going to become one of my like obsessive fandoms kind of like harry potter and outlander and i i think it's about to be on that level so but, but Hanako, I've got, a, I've got a quick question because you and I went back and forth about this a couple of weeks ago. So it is a trilogy. I was right about that. Mm-hmm. But you were talking about book coming out and then another book coming out next year or the year from now. So we can agree that it's a trilogy. You have a compendium. And then is the next book an actual new start of another offshoot? I I believe so. Um, I believe it's, I believe it talks about some of the other characters. Let's see. I am looking. So the, I think it's the fourth book is called Times Convert. And I remember this coming out because I was actually working for Barnes and Noble at the time. Okay. Um, Okay. And it's Marcus's backstory. Okay, that tracks. So what they're so basically what she did is she did the trilogy, they did the compendium, and now we're going into the the side characters, and they're doing sort of a kind of prequel, but not quite a prequel, sort of like they did with the uh, Sookie Stackhouse a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm bringing up a really horrible book series, amazing series. The Vampire Diaries books are trash. I'm just going to say that. I'm just throwing it out there. But there was rumor that they were going to do like a prequel with the Salvatores before. Sort of, they were going to do an offshoot with the mother, which didn't show. And they were going to do another offshoot. And they were also going to do, I think it was Sarah, the witch, the, you know, the, 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 uh, Bennett witches but my thing is is that that makes sense because if she's a historian like you say she is and she's putting these things together 
the next series of books, which should be a trilogy, is going to be Miriam, it's going to be Marcus, and quite possibly it could be Baldwin. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. But like I said, I I plan to fully immerse myself into this uh, probably within the next week. So I'll let you know. And that'll maybe give me a little more insight as to what to expect for season two. Um, well, see, yeah, because you know me, I will literally send you a link for like all the stuff, for all yeah. the books. Yeah. Like here, here you go. Because I'm the book. Well, person. I have the first two books here and I'm planning on getting uh, book three and the compendium. And then I think maybe I'll just stick with those for right now since that's what the show is focusing on. But I know me. I, I mean, yeah. like I said, Marcus is actually like one of my favorite characters. I like how naive he is. And I like just, I just like his character. So I may go ahead and pick up Times Convert as well and start reading that. And, and that'll give me something to kind of keep me in the zone before season two starts is the season two premiere is here in the states is january 9th so like i said we have less than two weeks and then of course we're getting eight episodes so that'll take us at least through towards the end of february right but as far as season one goes do you guys have any final thoughts um i would just say it was exciting um well written it answered questions gave me more questions and I really enjoy discovering the world as Danny discovered it. Um, I look forward to seeing more of that in season two. Um, I really enjoyed it. I didn't. I was kind of skeptical at first. I'll admit because I was. I kind of thought this was going to be more of a like more focused on like romance, or it's going to be kind of a sappy kind of thing. But it impressed me. I was very impressed. I'm looking forward to see them expound more about the demons because we really don't haven't seen if they have any powers, if they have any kind of other other abilities other than being really smart and courageous and and, and being activists. I'm re I'm interested to see more of that. I'm interested to see how Nox how Nox and Jabert are going to get theirs because it's a long time coming. I can't wait to see them. And I can't wait to see see, see Satu's um, moment, her, her turning point, where she's either going to go one way or the other way. One and, way or another. I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, Mike, I just did. I, oh, no, that's fine. No, no, that's fine. I cool I mean, to you. <laughs> I mean, it happens every now and then. And it's like, I deserve it. It's fine. But yeah, I'm I'm interested to see that because she's she's definitely giving me weeping monk vibes as far as like what she is. So right. I'm looking forward. To, I'm looking forward to see how how she pans out. But yeah, this is interesting. I guess I'll have to shell out my 8.95. Damn it! I loved the fact that we got a smart show that was really brilliantly written. It gave us moments of oh my god! It gave us moments of huh and it also was like huh this is not true blood this is not vampire diaries this is not anything that we have seen it's still nerdy it's still geeky but it's intelligent it's well produced i don't necessarily have to think too hard but if i do i can spend the next nine hours going well, what about this this and this and not sound like a fanboy slash fangirl um the writing is 
brilliant. The premise is brilliant, but at the same time, it's so simple. It's not the end of the world. It's not an apocalypse. It's not anything like that, but it is pure. You got a girl who has a problem. She has a dude. They hooked up. Their family is like, yeah, we're cool. We're going to get together. And maybe at the end, something weird happened. And now eh, the family's got to rally behind them. But at the same time, the family has to wait for them to come back. And let's face it, season two, when they're not where they're supposed to be, the scenes in the present with their aunts, Baldwin, Hamish, everything, Agatha, sort of kicking around, go, well, are they back yet? That's going to be awesome. I love this show. Yeah. I agree with everything that you guys have said. Um, one of the favorite, one of my favorite things about this show has been the character development and the way that they've introduced the characters. Um, and just to see that build up as far as some of the characters not actually being what we initially think they are. Like these characters have a lot of layers to them and everything is not black and white with them, which I like because even, uh, and I think we mentioned this when we discussed the last episode, even with Knox, you kind of get a little bit of, you you kind of feel a little sympathetic towards him, but then not really because he's still kind of evil. But again, at the same time, all of these people, they think that they're doing what they're doing to protect their own. They think they're protecting their species. And you can't really fault anyone for doing that. It's just the way that they are approaching it is what's questionable. Their morals are questionable. But I like the fact that we get those layers with all of these characters. And I'm looking forward to exploring a little bit more of that in the next season. Also, I'm really looking forward to exploring who Matthew is as a person, because of course, we're going back to the past. So we're going to be exposed to a lot, I think, a lot more of his backstory. Mm -hmm. And we know that his backstory is not pleasant based on what Isabel told Diana. You know, Matthew was out of control for a long time because he was angry about the fact that he was a vampire. So I'm sure there's probably a lot of killing in his backstory. And there's a lot of, there's probably a lot of things that would normally make us not like him as a character. So I, I think Diana's going to be exposed to that and, and we'll have to see how she deals with that. And we'll also see exactly where Matthew started and how he became the person that he is today. You know, how did he become so well-controlled? How did he become so focused, so driven? And what started his interest in studying the species? Because that there had to be a catalyst somewhere that made him say, I need to figure out what's causing us to die out, what's causing us to go extinct, you know? So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into his backstory and to seeing what happens there. Hopefully we can learn a little bit more about Marcus and Miriam as well. Yeah. Oh, also, also want to see see how see what Domenico gets up to next. And I know you do too. Don't lie. Of course, of course. I really do want course, to see. What of course, we want to. We want. I want to see what's up for entirely different reasons than you do. But <laughs> um, I, I, I'm really interested. <laughs> I, I think he's one of the most interesting interesting characters in here. 
And I'm really interested to see what moves he, he's getting ready to make in this season because he has he has a he has a huge favorite that he can call in, and but he also has a really big enemy in Gerber, even though Gerber's is on a on a really wild losing streak right now. Yeah. So the other the other thing, since we did mention Domenico, if we're going back to the past, if we're learning about Matthew's backstory, I do hope that that means that there is room in the story for us to see uh, Juliet again. I really hope that this end of her character that we saw in this episode is not the final time that we see her. Not just because I think we could all stand and stare at her on the screen and we wouldn't be mad, but also because I'm very intrigued as far as what her character meant to Matthew. Like, what did Jaber say to her or do to her to get her to that point? And like, what was his motivation? I mean, it has to be something more than just, I don't want them in power anymore. Like for you to sire someone specifically for the purpose of falling in love or making this person fall in love with her so that she could, who knows, betray him or maybe he had it in his mind that Matthew would become as obsessed with Juliet as she was with him and that would kind of deter him from whatever his responsibilities were. We don't know. I would love to find out more about that backstory. Like what is what is it about the Declaremonts that Jaber hates so much? I want that story. Well, not only that, you have to sort of ask yourself, uh, if we do see Juliet's backstory, where was she as a human? And when she became an instrument for Jaber, and obviously she and Matthew had something because you can't get nothing from, you know, something from nothing. We saw them, you know, being intimate. We saw Matthew the, said that he loved her. He said that he loved her. But there has to be a little bit more than, and excuse me for using this term, a booty call. There has to be more than just that. There has to be a breaking point at one point in time where they were together and Matthew not necessarily woke up to Jaber, but realized that there was something that wasn't either not quite right with her mm -hmm. or there was something that she was doing that she was kind of hiding from him that caused the break because if you look at him and if you look at her, he obviously woke up one day and says, yeah, uh, uh, back up, we're done. And he walked away. He got to stepping. Abandoned she, her was, was the term yeah, she used. Yes, abandoned her, which may not have actually, have actually happened. That could be just her perception. It yeah. might have been a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years that he gradually stepped away from her. But in her mind, because of the way she was made and formed, it was immediate. Yeah. yeah. Well, looking forward to season two, but for now, that is it for our show. You can find us online at fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Phantom Hybrid. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast streaming platforms. We thank you for listening to us. We hope you guys have a happy holiday and a happy new year. We will see you in 2021. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time.